Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Fanboy Theology. I'm Brett. I'm Chris. And today we're talking about a couple different movies from one of Chris and I's favorite directors, Christopher Nolan. Specifically, The Prestige, Interstellar, and Inception. And of course, you can't talk about Christopher Nolan without talking about Batman, or just I want to talk about Batman always. So we may get into a little bit of Batman Begins, Dark Knight, Dark Knight, uh, Dark Knight Rises. So. On that, we wanted to go into a theory that seems to be circulating on the internet a little bit, but we're not going to go with that conclusion, so don't expect us to come out and fully say that those three movies, The Prestige, Interstellar, and Inception, are part of a trilogy. Yeah, I could see how where they get that, but that's not the conclusion we want to make here today. We're just going to simply take some of those observations that they made. So we'll start with The Prestige, and I mean, if you haven't seen The Prestige, it's about magic, and unfortunately, there were two movies that came out around that same time, one with Edward Norton, one with Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman, The Prestige and... The Illusionist. Yeah, The Illusionist. Both, I, I liked both of them, but I mean, usually if there's two similar movies coming out, you're only going to see one of them. Yeah. So Or you get them confused. Yeah. Exactly. So um, that story revolved around uh, Hugh Jackman, Christian Bale going and trying to outdo one another. They're both magicians and they're both trying to get the... uh, Goes and meets Nikola Tesla and then they come up with this way and spoiler alerts. I I think that's a given with anything we talk about here that it's going to be spoilers when we mention them in the title. Hugh Jackman and Nikola Tesla figure out how to make a clone of them of Hugh Jackman every single night in whenever he does this disappearing man trick. We're with Christian Bale uncovering those steps of going through and figuring out how Hugh Jackman's doing this trick because Christian Bale wants to one-up him. What ends up happening and what we want to touch on today is something that Michael Caine's character talks about is specifically that every magic trick consists of three parts or acts. He actually uses the word acts. And uh, the first part is... The pledge. In that he explains that the magician shows you something ordinary, like a deck of cards or a bird or a man and then shows you the subject for you to inspect to make sure that it's real, but it probably isn't. Yeah, and then the turn, the magician takes that ordinary something and then makes it do something extraordinary. With every single magic trick, making something disappear is not cool in and of itself, so there's a third part. Right, you have what they call the prestige, which is bringing it back. In other words, what Christopher Nolan is showing is proper story structure and in every magic trick there is story structure and we've talked about this many times on this podcast of how every story has a a beginning a middle and an end or act one act two act three when you follow these principles and when you're writing a story you can make a great story just because you follow that structure so broken down we can see that every story consists of one character's want or desire that character then struggles to obtain that desire, and then there's a surprise we get as the viewer when that character finally realizes what he must do, usually known as the twist. And every story, whenever we go see a movie, whenever we read a book, it's the same structure. The only thing that changes is that twist at the end. And what we, we as a society, we as a people, rate a story based on how well that twist gets us. Right. So if The Prestige was about uh, writing a movie, the Inception's about making a movie. And each one of the characters kind of has a counterpart on a filmmaking crew. Tom Hardy's character is the actor because he has to study his subjects, and he right. usually ends up impersonating someone within the dream state of the person's brain that they're trying to change. Right. Um, you've got Ariadne, who's the screenwriter, because um, she's the one, that they refer to her as the architect. 
She's the one that's designing everything and putting together what it looks like. Yes, and then Saito, who is the one who actually uh, is the studio executive financing the operation, which literally he takes that role in this. He's paying... Right, he's paying everything. Yeah. (laughs) The whole uh, line when they're setting up to plant the um, dream in Fisher's character is, oh, well... I've just bought the airline. <laughs> yeah. And then finally, Cobb, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, is the director. He's the one with the vision. He's the the person who is overseeing the entire operation. He's the one who suggests all of the, the different people to come in and actually make the movie. So, I, I mean, that's really loose. I've seen people take it one step further and go that this movie is straight up about filmmaking. I don't think that's it, but it's just a cool observation to yeah. see. And then finally, Interstellar. So if if those two movies are about writing a movie and making a movie, Interstellar is about ending a movie. And Interstellar's ending is an excellent one because, well, first off, Interstellar, the Earth has been basically brought to the point where literally it's almost uninhabitable. To the point of they're looking to make, or humanity as a whole is looking to make one last shuttle mission to try and find a habitable planet because Earth is dying. We're down to like, what was it, three or four crops or something like that. So like one day food's going to run out and dust storms are everywhere. We we see very reminiscent of the Great Depression, Dust Bowl shots and everybody's on a farm. Matthew McConaughey is actually an astronaut, but because they don't need astronauts, they need farmers now, he's a farmer. So he goes on this journey, gets back into a spaceship and crazy, crazy journey of basically it investigates time, it investigates... Physics. Physics, and it's a great... It's great. And it's almost like, okay, if you were going to teach somebody quantum physics, watch this movie. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, that was one of the things that was cool about the movie is the computer power that they did for the models gave some of the astronomy studies departments and universities the ability to check some of their stuff because they hadn't been able to do it in the past because they didn't have the computer power. But because of the movie, they were able to just plug in all this data and get actual results and then have that in the movie as well. Yeah, so crazy. Yeah, it seems kind of far-fetched, but this is what scientists and physicists are talking about right now. And again, it's just a a representation of it. So now we're taking on this, this awesome journey, and then all of a sudden it goes into this realm of like, oh my gosh, what is going on? Matthew McConaughey's in the fifth dimension, and... Who's guiding him? Who made this wormhole? We're not given the answer. That's And that is what makes the ending so good. I mean, Christopher Nolan did the same thing in Inception with the totem, and it's, mm-hmm. is it still spinning? Is it not? The point being, any good film leaves some parts of it up to the audience's interpretation. And Interstellar does that in that, who did this? Was it aliens? Was it... People from the fifth dimension? Was it Matthew McConaughey from the future? And they didn't do it too much, so I'm not going to say it's a bad story beat, but uh, that, that end point, that there's two things that transcend time, gravity and love. You can see Christopher Nolan start to get up on the soapbox, and then he steps back off, because he just goes, okay, no, it's just gravity and love. They, we're going to just let that be the ghost in the machine. Let's leave that, and we're going to go keep moving on with this story because the story's about Matthew McConaughey's journey. It's not supposed to answer that question. Right. It leaves us to come and make podcasts and, <laughs> and uh, articles online and blogs and all that for us to discuss. Again, that's what makes a good movie is it lets the audience participate in it. 
and in the dialogue afterwards. It's never just about what you watched in the movie. It's about changing your mind. Mm-hmm. And that's what these three movies seek to do, and that's what all movies seek to do, is, is to change the mind of the viewer, is to make them look at reality in a new way. Yeah, well, and not just necessarily change their mind, but question where they're at now. Absolutely. And if their beliefs are actually legitimate. And worthy to keep holding that belief. Yeah. So, all those principles in mind, let's, let's take back a look in Christopher Nolan in Batman, in the Batman trilogy of Christopher Nolan did. So, we have Batman Begins, and relate this back to the, the, what a magic trick is. So, the first thing, take something ordinary, something that we've seen all the time, uh, Batman. We've seen four movies before Christopher Nolan's, I know five if you want to count that one with the, the bomb and the shark way back in the, <laughs> no, I don't want to count that one. Uh, but we see, we see this ordinary thing that Batman is part of the, the zeitgeist of all of humanity. It, it's there. And then what do you do? You make it extraordinary. You, you ground him almost in a world not unlike ours. Yeah. Like, is Superman going to show up here? No, because Superman wouldn't show up in our world because th- that's unrealistic. And then the Dark Knight. So the magician then, now that he's shown you the ordinary, he takes it and makes it do something extraordinary. We have never seen such a good dynamic, I would say, in what we saw in Batman versus the Joker. It was chaos versus order. It was justice versus anarchy. It was just... And we got to say this, that this, these movies are not Batman and the Joker. You go look at the cartoon, you go look at the comics, Joker's not an anarchist. Joker is just insane. And yeah, this character does show insanity. He's this almost mirror of, the, of Batman that Christopher Nolan has created. It's, I yeah, love it. Just perfect polar opposites. Yes. And if Batman is simply looking for justice, yeah, Joker is simply looking for anarchy. And it was a great dichotomy. Loved it. But then the prestige. Uh, To make something uh, disappear is not enough. You have to bring it back. So what do we even see in the ending of Dark Knight Rises? A lot of people saw it coming that Batman has to die in this one. So what's the actual cool thing? It's the fact that we brought him back to life. That, That last shot, it's Alfred seeing... Bruce sitting there with uh, Selina Kyle. And beyond that, you have also the opportunity of Batman, the image of him, not Bruce Wayne, but what he represented being brought back as Nightwing. Yeah. The principle that we get in Batman Begins, when you devote yourself to an ideal, you become more than a man. Right. Bruce Wayne died that day, but Batman lives on. That That is the whole point of this trilogy, is that Batman... It's not a far cry to say that in this universe, so now that this real event happened, all the comics, all the cartoon, all the movies that we will see from here on are movies inspired by this real event that Christopher Nolan made in Christopher Nolan's head. Obviously, these events didn't happen. This is a film. But that is so cool to me, is that Christopher Nolan is working with these principles that he established in his own canon back in the prestige, if we really all relate to that. Now, this is just two nerds sitting here doing a podcast making uh, suggestions. Is this right? I don't know. Let's ask Mr. Nolan. Mr. Nolan, you're welcome to come on. Uh, But uh, without that being said, the fact that people are thinking of what to do in these movies is just awesome to me because we have examples where people are not thinking when they go to make a movie. Yeah. I mean, that... 
I think that's my favorite part about these movies is that the endings are open-ended. Mm-hmm. It's not a definitive, oh, this is what happens. We're going to put a nice little bow on it for you. Everybody rides off into the sunset all happy. There's that what if and what's going to happen next that is left up to you as a viewer to see mm-hmm. and come up with on your, on your own. When we're talking all about good movies, I, we just got to say, and I think this is where Christian films are lacking, is when I go watch a Christian movie, I'm not going to say any of the titles, and then come out of it, what's missing is nothing. <laughs> they wrapped it up with a pretty bow. They beat us over the head with the message. They even said the message word for word <laughs> in the title a couple times during the the movie. Like You're not going to walk away going... Ah, well, hey, let's sit and let's talk about this yeah. because it was already talked about. So here, here is if we were to look at the Christopher Nolan way of making film and all films before that, or all good films, just think of allowing the audience to take away their own lesson. Let them decide what the message of the movie is instead of making sure that they walk out knowing Jesus is Lord. Like, yes, Jesus is Lord, but if you have a lesson you're trying to make in that movie, let it be ambiguous enough that the audience can relate to it. Right. I mean, it just goes to the way that life is. We don't know everything wrapped up in a pretty bow for our life. There's always that we have to make a decision moment based on what we've gone through, what we've seen. We don't want to go see a movie that, that doesn't reflect that. Or it treats us like we're not a, like we're children. Like right. Th- that, no, 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 I got this. We're the filmmakers. We're here to help you, and we're going to take you to this conclusion that we have to. Christopher Nolan is treating us like adults when he goes, okay, so guys, what do you think? Not, hey, guys, here, here is what to think. I mean, it's one of those things, we see it in the way that Jesus did stuff, too. He doesn't always give you a definitive, oh, here's the answer. A lot of times when people would ask Jesus something, he answers it with another question and leaves them to come up with the conclusion. Yes. It's not a a clear-cut, oh, well, here's your answer. He drops the mic. That is a plot device. Drop the mic. We're not... And don't be afraid to drop the mic because then this is what happens. When people walk out of the movie theater not having the answer, they go seek the answer. We see that with Prometheus. Prometheus had a a lot of questions left at, at the end of the movie. However, what happened? There were forums and whole web pages dedicated to theories. And that... It's the participation of the viewer taken to the next level. It was seen perfectly in Prometheus. That's what we need to do with Christian films. When Christians take charge in a film, they need to be willing to allow the audience along that journey as well. Well, and that goes too with, as we're trying to tell others about Jesus, you don't want to just beat them over the head with, here's the answer, here's the answer, here's the answer. But we can present the story of God working through our lives in a way that begs those questions and allow them then to come to those conclusions. And even I had a famous author as one of my professors when seminary, and I'm not going to say his name, uh, and he was in New York one time, and he was going to be there for speaking at a conference. I don't remember. He travels around a lot. And somebody walks up to him and goes, hey, hey, you're that famous author. I'm not going to say his name again. <laughs> and uh, he obviously said his name. And, and the guy goes, hey, I'm not a Christian. You tell me about Jesus. You come on, come on, convert me, man, convert me. And then, so the guy, he takes his sunglasses off. 
He looks him in the eyes, this random dude on the random street corner in New York, and he goes, nah, you're not desperate enough. And he walks into Starbucks to go get his coffee. And it's like, okay, here comes this dude and demands on my terms, you tell me about Jesus. Do you know what's more effective in that moment? Dropping the mic with a prof- after saying a profound, awesome statement like, you're not desperate enough, and walk away. That guy is now gonna go, what in the world just happened? And his view of reality just completely got rocked. <laughs> and yeah. Well, I mean, you see that with Jesus when he's um, recruiting the disciples at the beginning of ministry. He walks up to a table. Yo, um, you follow me. And he walks away. Yo, that, that is actually what the word in Greek means. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's leaving that decision up to the person, but presenting it in a way that there's enough intrigue that you want to know more, that you want to take that next step. So that all being said, sometimes the more effective thing is to just simply look at who your audience is. Whether you're a Christian filmmaker, whether you are about to evangelize to somebody, you need to look at where that person is. That famous author looked at where that person was, took in the the information they had of, yeah, he's being a sarcastic little punk, so if I go and tell the gospel here, it's not going to actually be successful. So what do I do to get him down the road to the next step on his journey with Jesus? Intrigue. Allowing him to just hear something awesome that day that rocks his world and walk away. Yeah. It's reminiscent of Jesus. Yeah. And the Pharisees coming and demanding a miracle. And Jesus saying, nah, nah, not for you guys, and walking away. We have to let that transformation happen by the person's own decisions. And they're only going to come to that if we leave that decision to them. We covered a lot of ground today. So, I mean, if you guys got lost, we're going to try and get as much of what we've talked about into lesser words (laughs) and put it on our blog, but it might take a few days. So, uh, go check it out, fanboytheology.com. Leave comments if you have any more questions. We, of course, are going to always bring up Christopher Nolan, Batman, and other episodes. So uh, be ready. These will be addressed at later date. Until next time, we hope you enjoyed this. I'm Chris. I'm Brett. And we'll see you next time. It's a promise. <laughs>